Hey y'all, spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Hello, everyone. It's Takuya here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Hey, you want to sign up for the premium channel? Now's the time. Using promo code BOX for 30 days, you get free premium content. To take advantage of that offer, go to theboxofoddities.com or the Himalaya app. Promo code BOX. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. All right, first of all, let me apologize. I'm fighting a cold. You sound <laughs> terrible. I sound like butt. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't feel horrible, but but I don't sound that great. And wouldn't you know it, it's right before our very first show in San Francisco. This happened before our show in Nashville, too. I, I got some kind of a cold. Mm. Do you think it's stress-related? I think probably, yes. Huh, okay. I think your tiny little baby body can't handle the stress. First of all, I'm not a baby, nor do I have a tiny little body. Well, but, I mean your delicate little sweet flower body. I see. Okay. Yeah, I am a delicate flower. Yeah. But you are improving. Yes. Speedily. Yes. Speedily. Speedily. Yep. Is how they say it in the old country. And um, I think you're going to be in tip-top shape before San Fran. Well. Cisco. We'll see. Uh, but it doesn't matter. We're doing this. Oh, we have to. Yeah. It's a thing. Uh, just a heads up, we have a house guest who is a 100-plus pound lab. Oh, you might remember Champ from a former episode. Gassy Champ, we call him. <laughs> and uh, not, There are very few things that smell worse than lab farts. It's true. Uh, but he is joining us once again, and if you hear additional grumbles, that's where that that's, comes from. That's why. Though, I will say, uh, I saw we had a negative review today. <laughs> I saw um, I, 
not sure how to take this, but someone did complain about being forced to listen to Pugs. Yeah, um, they said so. they said well, it was a great show. I hate be, being forced to listen to the to Pugs though. So one star off for that. Yeah. So, but I also noticed that their um, Facebook profile said cheeseburgers and sarcasm. So I don't know. Maybe it was maybe it was for funsies. Maybe maybe they just hate pugs. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I genuinely wouldn't understand that, but that's fine. But that's their right. I I guess. Of course it is. Yeah, you're right. Yes. I mean, you're wrong, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you go first, and that's good because I can just sit here and listen to a story. Are you sure you don't want to go first and then try to like gauge how you feel? Do you want me to go first? I think that would be a good idea. All right, I'll go first. And that way, if you want to wrap it up, okay, you know, you can. And that's that's probably wise. Yeah, you're so good to me. Today, we're going to answer the question that's plagued mankind since the dawn of creation. Mm -hmm. Why do men have nipples? Shut the fuck up. What? Is that your topic? It's not my topic, but it's one of the things that I researched for my topic. <laughs> wow. We, I think maybe we're we're both trolling the same websites. Whoa. Yeah. I got this off of Ranker. Are you just talking about nipples? Yeah, just nipples. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Okay, so you, mine was all about just okay. Yeah. Okay. No, no. The question is, why do men have nipples? There's a book about that. I'm sure there are several. Let's talk about nips. Let's talk about nips, baby. Let's talk about you and me. All right. Don't you dare cut that out. Males originally in the womb follow a female blueprint. Mm -hmm. I did not realize that. Yeah, we're all chicks in the beginning. Uh-huh. In the first four weeks of development in the womb, human embryos follow. It's kind of like a, um, a basic genetic developmental blueprint. And it's basically the female blueprint. That's what we start out as. We all start out as women. Sort of. Kind of. Yeah, I think basically it's just kind of like person. Like when we were young, my friend Keegan said once that labs kind of reminded her of like dog. If you looked up dog, it would be a picture of a lab. In her mind. Right. Yeah, okay. And uh, I, I think about early stage development of the fetus as being like person. Yeah, sure. And then it then it gets the, the bits. According to I Fucking Love Science, humans, um, the embryo's gonads appear around week four of development. Mm -hmm. And it's considered bipotential or indifferent, which means gender is not playing a role in development at this point. Once the male embryo produces testosterone, the hormone can influence other sex-specific traits around the body. Men having nipples doesn't really have any evolutionary advantage. No. None. But it usually doesn't hurt anything as well, so that's why we still have them. Of course. Now, men have nipples, but do they have milk-producing you know, milk lines as well? The answer is yes, for a while anyway. As the fetus grows in the womb, one of the first things it develops are milk lines that run from the upper torso to the lower abdomen. Seems like a weird thing to be one of the first things that the body kicks out. Yeah, why? Why? I don't know. Why the milk lines? Because you're not going to use them right away. Right. Or, you know, if you're a guy, you probably aren't going to use them at all. Well, that's what I was just reading about uh, egg production and that the egg... Uh, the eggs that we make as ladies are made in very early stages of the fetus growth. 
The embryonic development. That's right. Wow. So So you only have so many? Yeah. Really? And there yeah. You have them for forever. Okay. Yeah. So if you are, let's say, like eighteen years old, your egg technically was made before your mom was born. So you could be like technically the the first thing that created you. If your mom was twenty, you know you'd be like thirty-eight years old. Oh my god! So you're, you see that's what cra- I'm saying? Yeah, I see what it, you're saying. Yeah. yeah, that's crazy, right? Once chromosomes are in play, though, the milk lines begin to recede. The baby is then he's left with a noticeable mark where the milk lines once in, were extended to. Females eventually develop breasts, of course. Men just get the nipples. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And by the way, what's the deal with nipple hairs? Seriously, I don't know. I mean, you're allowed to ask that question and people go, right? (laughs) But when I ask that question, it's like, oh, really? (laughs) So you have to deal with nipple hairs. It has happened. Sure. I have my little razor, my manscaping razor. And whenever I'm like trimming up my chestal region (laughs) and I get to the nipple area, I get really squeamish. Oh, sure. I bought some of those little round Mm band-aids and I just put it right over. While I'm shaving, because I don't want to accidentally nip my nip. It also helps to avoid chafing if you're out for a run. That's true. I had a shirt one time. I think it was like one of those Izod shirts. Mm -hmm. The emblem on my shirt was right over my nipple. Oh, no. Right over it. And even though I had a T-shirt underneath of it, I went out for a run and uh, I rubbed my nipple right off. Oh, yeah. That must have been rough. It was awful. Why were you running in an Izod shirt? You made that a part up. Wait, why were you running? Ice cream truck? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Yeah, let's say ice cream truck. Ice cream! I will say that uh, mine is nothing that's ever had to been had to have been shaved, uh, but the occasional stray does does pop up from time to time. And what do you do? Just pluck it? Yeah. Ow. Well, I mean, not really. So what's the earliest point that uh, women will start lactating? Well, actually, babies can lactate. Ew. Did you know that? No. Do they lactate when they hear other babies crying? (laughs) Like a letdown reflex? One would assume that men's nipples are completely non-functioning. That's not always the case. There's a hormone called prolactin, which helps with uh, milk development. The hormone can pass from the mom to the baby Via the placenta. Oh, got it. Okay. So newborn babies will absorb, in some cases, absorb enough of this hormone that makes them lactate. Even newborn boys will begin to leak milk from their nipples. It's called, this is what it's called. The phenomenon is called witch's milk. (laughs) It sounds like a really bad hairband from the 80s. It really does. Now appearing live with Crocus. Witch's milk <laughs> with special guest nipple hair. I should do concert commercials when I have a cold. Yeah, So absolutely. I can really get down to the... Uh, yeah, or truck truck, truck crushing. Poles, yeah. Yeah, that thing. Or drag racing spots. Yeah. Don't, don't do it. I can tell you're working on some sort of like yeah. big voice thing. Yeah. And I don't want you to stress your no, throat out. No, I'll be, I'll be fine. Tear off your rearview mirror and throw it out the window because there's no looking back on this one, baby. Oh. Yeah. So if boys, baby boys can lactate, can men breastfeed? Yes. Yes, they can. Yes. I love getting these right. 
Some historians have a theory that early human males nursed their young just as often as females did. Really? Yeah. Oh, I love that. But maybe because they had to go off on long hunts, they... Could be. And, and they did, they, women were the gatherers. Yeah. They theorize that that's one of the reasons why men have nipples is because in our early development, mm-hmm. the men would share the nursing responsibilities with the women. See, that would be a lot better. There's an African pygmy tribe, the Aka. They have documented cases of men nursing babies. Wow. And there have also been cases where the mother would die. Mm-hmm. And the father would start getting breast milk and would continue feeding the child. Like sympathy breastfeeding. What? I know. That's amazing. Oh, human body. You're so neat. I will allow the occasional breast hair. (laughs) Because that's just cool. Let's talk about extra nipples. Oh, yes. Chandler Bing. It tends to happen more often with men. The rate of increased nipple growth is one in every 40 newborn babies. So on average, out of 40 newborn babies, one will have extra nipples. And, I had no idea it was that high. And the vast majority of, of those children will be, will be male for whatever reason. That is really interesting. Usually it's pretty small and undeveloped. A nubbin. And they're almost always harmless and can very easily be removed. Now, there are male mammals that don't have any nipples. For example, uh, some mice. Some male mice do not have nipples. They just don't grow nipples. According to uh, a 1999 Yale University study, a few days after mammary tissue has started to form in mice embryos, the mice produce protein, which is called something I can't pronounce. And And this chemical acts as kind of a roadblock to female hormones, and uh, the male hormones erase the mammary tissue and the milk line remnants, leaving mice nipple-free. Well, wow. male mice. Sure. Male mice, anyway. It is, however, possible for men to be born without any nipples at all. That's called athelia. It's a rare condition. Um, it often means that the individual has no nipples, no breast tissue, no signs of milk lines at all. Whoa. And it can affect just one side of the body, but usually both sides of That's the body. That's really interesting. They don't really know what the cause of this is or how it uh, you know, can potentially impact a person's health, but it's a hereditary mutation. And it's the same hereditary mutation that often presents webbed fingers. Ooh. So that little kink in the, in the DNA can cause you to not have nipples and have webbed fingers. Did you know that Danny Aykroyd has webbed feet? I don't know who Danny Aykroyd is. Dan Aykroyd? Oh, okay. I know who Dan Aykroyd is. Ah, do you? What are you, like BFs with Danny Aykroyd? Sure. Danny and I go way back. Yeah. yeah. It's like me and Jules. You know, Jules Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> don't be a weirdo. Yeah. No, he, he, has webbed, he has webbed feet. I did not know that. Yeah. There you go. I'm just going to end on that because I'm starting to lose my voice now. Sure. And I just brought up Dan Aykroyd's webbed feet. You're never going to top that. <laughs> no, I, I imagine we should probably just end the show entirely. <laughs> okay. And now, that thing in the middle. All right, here's a look at some ridiculous insurance claims. Number five, a couple vacationing in southern France filed an insurance claim for the paint on their car after it was licked by a herd of cows... You are fortunate to have had your car's paint licked off by cows. How adorable must that have been? 
Number four, while vacationing in Malaysia, a couple had their clothes stolen and scattered around the jungle by a thieving band of monkeys. <laughs> the insurance company did agree to cover their claim. Number three, a British tourist in Athens ended up running into a bus shelter after supposedly being distracted by a group of females. In spite of his embarrassing mistake, the insurance company still covered the hospital bill. Number two, a family on vacation in England were in for a surprise when a parachutist landed on their items, destroying them. The insurance company decided they would not pay for those damages. And number one, back to cow-related claims, a farmer in Minnesota filed a claim on his iPhone when he lost it in a cow's vagina when he was trying to help uh, birth a calf. Wow. At least that's what his story was, anyway. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. There are really many reasons to listen to our podcast, Big Picture Science. It's kind of a challenge to summarize them all, Molly. Okay, here's a reason to listen to our show, Big Picture Science, because you love to be surprised by science news. We love to be surprised by science news. So, for instance, I learned on our own show that I had been driving around with precious metals in my truck before it was stolen. That was brought up in our show about precious metals and also rare metals, like most of the things in your catalytic converter. I was surprised to learn that we may begin naming heat waves like we do hurricanes. You know, prepare yourself for heat wave Lucifer. I don't think I can prepare myself for that. Look, we like surprising our listeners. We like surprising ourselves by reporting new developments in science and while asking the big picture questions about why they matter and how they will affect our lives today and in the future. Well, we can't affect lives in the past, right? No, I I guess that's a point. (laughs) So the podcast is called Big Picture Science and You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. We are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us. We hope you'll take a listen. Are you interested in the parts of history that remain a mystery? Do you want to learn more about the historical myths and misconceptions used to prop up false belief today? I'm Nathaniel Lloyd. In my podcast, Historical Blindness, I delve into all of these topics, sharing puzzling tales from the past, and examining hoaxes, conspiracy theories, and misremembered events that provide insight into modern politics and religion. Find out what's real and what's not when it comes to famous conspiracy theories, like those surrounding notorious assassinations and secret societies. Discover the weak and deceptive underpinnings of modern political ideologies and religious beliefs. 
Join me as I attempt to shed some light on our historical blind spots. New episodes every two weeks. Find historical blindness on most podcast players and platforms. The Box of Oddities. At a frequency so high, only your dog can understand. In spite of the negative review we got about pug snortles, we got this positive review on iTunes. And by the way, if you want to leave us a, a positive review on iTunes, that's cool. We appreciate it. Helps us grow the show. Of course. Uh, great show. Five stars. Just listen to the last episode. They were talking about wrong numbers. I have a great wrong number story. Do you want me to read this? Yeah. Why don't you read this? Because I'm losing my voice. <laughs> I had a bunch of cans and bottles that needed to be returned. There's a five-cent deposit in my state. A new redemption place opened a few miles from my house, and I was trying to figure out what their hours were. I couldn't find anything online about them. No website, no phone number, nothing. Side note, the redemption place was also called Nickelback Redemption. So is that a redemption center that's been so successful mimicking other redemption centers that they've lost their sense of authenticity? Since I couldn't find anything online, I just went about my day and I figured I'd worry about the cans and bottles another day. Fast forward a few hours. I was working and I needed to call one of my clients. When the person answered the phone, they said, Nickelback Redemption, can I help you? I misdialed my client's number and by sheer chance slash coincidence, I dialed the number of that exact number I needed. So creepy. That was one of the weirdest things that's ever happened to me. That is real Twilight Zone kind of I stuff. I love this story so much. Thanks for sharing that. All right, Chicky Babe, what you got for me? Today's topic, neat body stuff. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> okay. Right? Oh, well. We don't tell each other what stories we're going to share with one another. That's for those of you just joining us from the Giants-Patriots game. Someday, we will have the same topic. I know it's oh, going it's, to happen. Oh, it's going to happen. It's only a matter of time. And on that day, I will be delighted and you'll be irritated. And that's just the way that we are as humans. And that'll that'll be that. Let's make a pact that okay. when that day comes, uh-huh. that we just do that episode together. Okay. We'll just do that topic together, I mean. We'll just... The, one topic, we'll both discuss that. I think that's fair enough. Okay. So anyway, body parts. So... Close your eyes and touch your nose. That, the ability to do that is called proprioception. And that's not technically one of your big five senses that you're using in order to be able to do that. Um, This is the sense that detects where the parts of your body are with respect to each other. So this is why it's part of the sobriety test. That's right. I would imagine. Um, I can't do it when I'm sober. Let me see it. Should I hold my arms all the way out? Yep. Okay. Close my eyes. Yep. No, you're good. I did it. Wow, awesome. See, that's proprioception. And it's a meta-sense, which combines your brain's knowledge of what your muscles are and what they're doing with a feel for the size and the shape of your body. Hmm. So without using your basic five senses, you can use your hand or, or that as a guide to touch your nose. It's one of the examples of senses that we have that we don't consider a senses. Sense. Yeah. 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 So in a way, a sixth sense. It's more like our ninth sense. <laughs> okay. We've got a bunch yeah, okay. that don't get cred, which they should. Like, you know how when you hold your 
hand near to a hot stove or an iron or something, and you know not to touch it because it's hot. Mm-hmm. Um, technically, you're not touching it. It's it's your sense of knowing what heat is and what it does that allows you to go, oh, that's not a good idea. Mm. But it's not technically touch. Probably very similar to the reaction the body has when you're standing in an airplane with a parachute on your back for the very first time. And you're looking out and you're going, yeah, I'm going to do this. But your body's going, no, you're not. Oh. You're not doing that. Well, if you want to get away with that $20 million, you're going to. Mr. Cooper. <laughs> so let's talk about the diving reflex. Let's talk about diving reflex, baby. Oh, that was a stretch. Um so your diving reflex is what shuts down bodily functions or not shuts down, but like cools down bodily functions when you're submerged in water. And that helps you not drown, basically. Huh. Uh, and it's not exclusive to us. Humans and other mammals have this reflex, also known as the mammalian diving response. Okay. That consists of a set of reflexes that are activated when our face is cooled, such as by the water during a dive, or if we hold our breath. The diving reflex is a psychological mechanism which enables your body to manage and tolerate a lower level of oxygen. It's one of the reasons why they say holding your breath helps you stop with the hiccups. Interesting. Also, if you have a stuffy nose... It's said that if you hold your breath for a length of time, your body will automatically unclog really? so that you have a better chance of surviving. That's fascinating. I, I need to try that like right now. Yeah, you can't over you, you you can't overdo it though. Like save it for the good stuff, like oh. when you're drowning. I don't want to become immune to it. Yeah, I don't know that that's a thing. But yeah, let's just go with that. Okay, fine. So three main changes occur in our body. Bradycardia, which is a slowing of the heart rate. The human heart rate slows down 10 to 30% and up to 50% or more in trained individuals. So people who teach their body about the diving reflex, so people who, let's say, dive, <laughs> right, um, can slow their heart rate up to 50%. I would imagine that probably people like Harry Houdini or David Blaine, or you know those types of underwater stunt people. Obviously, you go directly to magicians. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? What is it with your breath holding wizardry, Mister Blaine? The first person I thought of was the chick in that highly suspect music video, Lydia. Lydia. So that whole video is just a single shot of a chick underwater holding her breath, and it's incredible. Also incredibly nerve-wracking, and it makes me a little itchy. Yeah. See, that does the opposite. When you're watching somebody submerge, your heart rate increases. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're taking on their heart rate, but you're doing it for a good cause. Right. Peripheral vasoconstriction, which is a narrowing of blood vessels, which reduces your blood flow by muscle contraction in the blood vessels wall. And that causes, uh, again, reduced blood flow to the limbs, ensuring that the oxygen sensitive organs like your brain and your heart are getting the oxygen that you are getting. So what you are able to get uh, it's going to send to the important parts. So your limbies will start to kind of... Tingle? Yeah. Okay. The human body is amazing. Right? I've been kind of uh, 
stuck in a the human body's amazing reading rut for a couple days. <laughs> and I keep telling people at work weird facts, and I think they're getting irritated. Irritated with, me. with you? Yeah. yeah. Well, that explains why your little eyes lit up when I said nipples earlier. Yay, someone wants to talk about nipples with me. That's me. You can always <laughs> count on me for that. I love you. I love you. All right. So during a deep dives, a blood shift occurs, allowing blood plasma and water to pass through organs and circulatory walls to the chest cavity. And that protects the organs from the increase in pressure underwater. The lungs gradually fill up with blood plasma, which is reabsorbed when the pressure drops. That's incredible. Right? And and I'm wondering if that is a a direct connection to our ancient ancestors. You know, we all evolved from, well, the theory goes anyway, uh, that we evolved from fish creatures, fishy Mm -hmm. creatures. And I'm wondering if those... Those skills and qualities lay dormant inside of us, mm. and still, in, in times of need, we become fish. You talk so good. I can't talk. I love it. I barely can remember my name right now. Temperatures above 70 degrees Fahrenheit do not elicit this response. Above what? 70 degrees. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Which is why, like, um, one of the other things that's why people die in hot tubs. I don't think that's why. I think it's got more to do with wine coolers. Or Zima. (laughs) They should bring Zima back. I think they did. Really? Did they? Yeah, I think it went away again. Yeah, no, that was awful. I I used it to clean my paintbrushes. I think that's the best possible (laughs) use for it. Something else really neat happens when you toss babies in the water. (laughs) So... (laughs) (laughs) okay this is like a really really demented mr science it's bill nye the morbid guy so the windpipe by the vocal cords spontaneously closes to prevent water from entering the lungs that reflex is initiated as soon as there is contact with water in infants. Wow. However, this function disappears when the kid reaches roughly six months. And if you doubt what Kat is saying, just look at the uh, cover art of Nevermind by Nirvana. Well, there are lots of videos about how the earliest stages of baby development is when you should start teaching them to swim. Mm-hmm. Um, because if they lose If, heaven forbid, something happens and they end up in a pool or something unattended, um, they babies can learn to right themselves and maintain uh, the ability to breathe if they're taught how. Yeah, no, I've I've seen video of this. Newborn infants. Baby babies. It's incredible. And so it's during this time when their body protects them that it's important to teach them how to do that. Wow. Because their body's already going, whoa, now, you're not coming in here, water. Thank you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Really, it's the coolest thing. Don't just toss your babies in the water. Of course, there is a procedure for it. First, you have to down a couple of Zimas. No. Here's a neat thing. Okay. Let's have some neat things. As you breathe, not you, but like people who are breathing normally, (laughs) most of the air is going in and out of one nostril. And every few hours or so, the workload shifts to your other nostril. 
That's interesting. Isn't it? I noticed the last couple of nights with my congestion, I have to lie on one side. And so like the nostril on the top will drain down into the bottom and then that'll all dry out Mm -hmm. and I'll cough and wake up and then have to flip over and let my nostril drain to the other side. Yeah, it's been a really restful few nights. Oh, it's been awful. Let's talk about anal sampling. Okay. So the recto-anal inhibitory reflex, also known as anal sampling mechanism, is something my friend Koki told me about. She's a butt doctor. (laughs) And uh, at first I was like, the what now? What now sampling? Anal sampling is a reflex characterized by an involuntary reaction of the internal anal sphincter. The anal sampler provides the upper anal canal. Anal sampler. With the ability. Sounds like a really awful box of chocolates. (laughs) Happy Valentine's Day. I got you an anal sampler. Why do they all look like rusty sheriff's badges? They taste like shit. (laughs) Oh, what was I saying? Mm, Okay, starting fresh. So. The anal sampler. It provides the upper anal canal with the ability to discriminate between flatus and fecal matter. Basically, it's this amazing muscle in your butthole that says, that's gas, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Or, no, no, now's not the time. (laughs) It's like a little traffic cop in your butt. Human bodies are amazing. Right? Mm. Because you don't consciously think about that. No. It's your It's your anal sampler that says, this is okay for now. Anal sampler also sounds like a really demented 19th century embroidered wall hanging. To me, I picture like a wine tasting room. (laughs) Mm. Hmm. It's got... Notes of (laughs) flatulence. The tannins really hit you on the back of the... No, this is ass. (laughs) So anyway, it uh, it discriminates between gaseous, liquid, and solid contents. And uh, that's what controls your your butthole. That's incredible. Yeah. I love it. The the real important one for me is that that difference between gas and liquid. Um, uh-huh. You want to yeah. make sure you don't mistake those two. That's true. I'm glad that the anal sampler is so sensitive in order to calibrate the difference between yeah. gas and liquid. Well, in some people, it's not. And right. that leads to some problems. Sharding. Yep. Mm. But. But. Anyway, that's a thing. It's called the anal sampler. That's incredible. And now you know that. Goosebumps. Mm. Goosebumps are a remnant of our evolutionary predecessors. Right. Like when you see a porcupine and he's all fluffing up uh, in an effort to appear bigger and scare you away so that you don't mess with him. Right. What's he doing? His muscles around his quills are contracting, making everything rise up. And that's exactly what your goosebumps are doing. It's like when a dog is startled and they get all fluffy and their fur stands up or closer to home, a giant ape. Yeah. They do that. So with uh, a lot of fur, this would fluff up your coat, uh, making it into one, a better insulator. So you're safer uh, from attack, but also appearing bigger. So maybe Mm. you won't get attacked in the first place. Body language is amazing, too. And it plays into that. A while ago, we were talking about the guy who robbed the corner store in our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And the videos, the surveillance video of that was was a great example of that. When he approached the cash register, you can see him throw his chest forward. Right. And try to make himself look bigger. And yeah. It's, it's crazy. It really is. And 
that man probably didn't walk into the store thinking, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to puff my chest out and I'm going to make him think I'm scary and bigger. Nope. It's just something instinctively yeah. that we do to, you know, make yeah. ourselves. I go the other way. When I am feeling threatened, I curl up into a ball. <laughs> That's also a porcupine response. That's right. But that's just to trick you um, so that you think that I'm not going to attack you. Uh, but if you continue and I'm still ball-shaped for a long time, then eventually I will just burn your house down. Right. And then punch you in the throat with your spiky knuckle things. No. Anyway. So we don't really gain that visual bulk from the, the goosebumps, but um, they're still there and they do their thing. It's incredible. I think it's weird that I get goosebumps more when I hear a story that like touches my heart or that that makes me go, oh, I can't believe that oh. I get the goosebumps. How does that make sense? I still haven't figured that out. There well, wasn't an article about that. You mentioned how it makes the fur fluff up and fluff up and makes you feel safe and comfortable. Maybe, oh, that's, maybe that's it. Part of it, too. Maybe I'm overwhelmed emotionally. Yeah. So I'm goosebumping to protect my my delicate feels. So you know how when someone starts to throw up and you yes. start to throw up? Yes. Yeah. Mostly it's because of the smell. You think so? Well, that's okay. Tell me more. Aha! So sometimes even just the talk of people throwing up can make people nauseated. Um, sometimes it's the sound of someone throwing up. Sometimes they just need the idea, like so-and-so is throwing up. But ancient cultures, uh, like tribes that would move from place to place, were believed to engage in a practice of forcefully making themselves vomit if another one in their tribe threw up. And this is because if they're going into a new region, uh -huh. testing out new noodles and such. Oh, if one of them starts to vomit, it's a key to the other people in their tribe that maybe they've consumed something because usually they're eating the same thing that might be bad for them. Maybe That's... the berries in this region aren't good. Okay. So it's like an involuntary response. Yes. You, okay. So Sam over there ate some bad berries. That's right. It appears. Yeah. Wow, I didn't realize that. So uh, it's desire to protect the whole group from a case of poisoning. Because almost almost always in these tribes, everyone was eating the same thing. Sure, yeah. The, the people who would gather and the people who would hunt would do it for the whole tribe. In, in those cases, if one of you got something bad, probably many of you did. So they'd all throw up as a measure of protecting themselves from poisoning. But again involuntarily that's right incredible it started off as voluntary but it is now involuntary oh even more incredible so it's believed that with time the human body adopted this feature as a means of survival and so that means that when you hear smell even think about vomit you you have that that response of like oh gotta protect myself yeah. <laughs> i always hold my breath when i walk by the gravitron Oh, that's a good call. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when you pass by a cemetery and you hold your breath. <laughs> no, it's nothing like that. You don't want those evil vomit spirits to get you. There is no such thing as evil vomit spirits. Now, this last topic isn't 
like a weird sense or anything. It's just something neat that I found that I wanted to share. Cool. Okay. So your eyes are pretty cool, right? And uh, we've talked about how, you know, you don't really see through the middle part of your eye. And so your eyes just kind of making up what it thinks should fill in those gaps. Mm -hmm. And because our eyes are always moving, our brain stabilizes, uh, but it has to kind of make up some stuff in order to do that stabilization. It's basically creating what we call reality. Wrong. Now, our eyes are incredibly sensitive, though, and able to detect just a few photons of light. So if you take a look on a very clear night at the constellation of Andromeda... It's a little fuzzy patch of light that is visible with the naked eye. So if you can see that tiny blob, you are seeing as far as humanly possible without technology. So what does that mean? What does being able to see Andromeda with the naked eye mean? Well, Andromeda is the nearest large galaxy to our own Milky Way. Uh, But near, you know, means 2.5 million light years away. Yeah, it's a bit of a... You need to pack a few sandwiches. When the photons of light that hit your eye when you're looking at Andromeda began their journey, there were no human beings. (laughs) You are looking back in time through 2.5 million years. Yeah, I love that. You can see... It's time travel. Yep. That's how sensitive your eyeballs are. Your crazy, stupid human little eyeballs... Can see another galaxy. And the idea that you're looking at, you're seeing Andromeda as it was two million years ago. Yeah. Not out as it is now. It That's might right. not even be there. We don't know. We don't know, Claire. We don't know, Claire. It's like the uh, Carl Sagan's Cosmic Calendar. Mm, yeah. And I guess uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson redid that on the new version of Cosmos. Sure. If you've not seen that episode or you don't know what the Cosmic Calendar is. Oh. Google it. Check it out. Just watch Cosmos. <laughs> yeah. It, With both, Carl Sagan. Well, both. Oh, sure. Both. Yeah. Both. Yeah. Both of them. Well worth your time. And I'm assuming probably if you listen to this podcast and are interested in some of the things we talk about, there's a good chance you already have. But watch it again. We should watch it again. Let's go do that right now. Plus, I need tea. And, okay. And whiskey. <laughs> that makes sense. All right, so we're wrapping it up. Oh, also, tonight's date night. Yes, happy date night. Happy date night. We're not doing anything. I'm very tired. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, once we uh, we finish this next busy couple of weeks, we'll have a special date night. Okay. Me. All right. The Box of Oddities lands on your phone a couple of times a week. We look forward to seeing you on Thursday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so... Let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. The box of oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast. On Twitter at Box of Oddities and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. 